You're listening to the latest preaching from Brixham Community Church. I wanted to talk this morning about why every Christian should celebrate Passover. And there are some Christians who are really into the Jewish thing and the Israel thing, and that's all fine and great. Uh, And there are other Christians who uh, don't really even want to read the Old Testament. They're happy with the New Testament and they're happy to move on from there and think about Jesus. Uh, I want to just talk for a few moments about why every Christian should celebrate Passover. And I hope that's, if if you are a Christian and you're interested in the Bible, I hope that's got your interest. But first of all, maybe we should start with ourselves and where we are at in the natural, in our natural state, what are our Easter expectations? I have on the screen, for those who can't see it, an Easter bunny, well it's a bunny with some eggs So Easter is a time where we teach children that there is a bunny that can lay eggs, I think. I think that's what it's about. Um, And Christmas is a time where we celebrate the birth of Santa. So we all know that the world is getting further and further away from Christian teaching. But anyway, what are your expectations when you look at um, your diary and you see that Easter is coming? Maybe it's the first thing you think of if you're in work, if you're in gainful employment, you think, well, I get a long weekend. Well, that's great. That's, that used to be my Easter expectation. I would get two weeks holiday as a teacher. Fantastic. Brilliant. That's one Easter expectation. One Easter expectation might be that it's going to get warmer. We're hoping for warmer weather about this time of year. It's springtime. When we lived in Liverpool, which we did for 10 years before we um, moved on, um, we lived in Liverpool 10 years, we used to drive past a massive B&Q in Aintree, and it was heaving at the weekends, and we drove past it on the way to church on Sunday, and, and particularly at bank holiday weekends, people were just going there in their droves. As we, as we were driving past on our way to church, we could see people going into B&Q because bank holiday weekends are all about DIY, aren't they? And especially springtime, we're starting to think about doing stuff in the garden again and getting out there. Maybe that's a lot of people's Easter expectations. And I remember driving past and feeling like this, this big orange building that people were flocking to. It was like a modern cathedral of, of materialism, really. You know, going in to spend your money and worship at the God of, of home improvements. And, uh, and so that was a lot of people's Easter expectations. Well, I want to talk a little bit more about a biblical basis for why I think our expectations for Easter should be more than the average B&Q shopper. And uh, I want to talk about a few things, but first of all, let's, let's start with the first Passover. I've told you that I think every Christian should celebrate Passover, so let's start at the beginning and forwards sum the beginning up. Slaves, plagues, blood and freedom. So as many of you will know, and even if you're not a churchgoer and you're not a Christian, you will probably know the story from uh, things like Joseph and the technical dream coat. There was a guy in the Bible called Joseph who had a very special coat and eventually he ended up um, living in Egypt and his whole family moved there and they grew into a huge extended family. I mean really huge, as big as a town, extended family, um, big town. And, uh, and so we fast forward in time and 
um, the Pharaoh of Egypt forgets how great Joseph was and that this extended family had done them a great favour favor in the past. In fact, the, the Pharaoh ends up kind of threatened by this growing extended family called the Hebrews. And so if you're not a Christian, if you're not a churchgoer, you will know stories from like Moses, prince of Egypt. And Moses rises up as a leader and leads people out of slavery because Pharaoh has made them all slaves. He's threatened by them, so he turns them into slaves. Well, they escaped Egypt only because eventually Pharaoh let them go because of all these plagues. So there were slaves, but there were these plagues. So Moses keeps going to Pharaoh saying, let my people go, God says, and all that sort of thing. Pharaoh says, nah, they're too important, they're too useful, they're busy building pyramids, I need, I need these slaves. And uh, Moses just keeps saying, let my people go, otherwise there'll be a plague. So this is constant backwards and forwards. And eventually, Pharaoh lets the people go. And then he changes his mind again and chases them. And you get the Red Sea thing and, and they're off. And they're free! Woohoo! And they get, eventually, 40 years later, they, they find their promised land. Well, that's a really short version of the story. There's lots of ups and downs on the way. But just to paint the picture. So when we come to Passover, we're thinking of a time of freedom. Because Passover, Passover celebrates the 10th and worst plague possible. The plague was that the firstborn son in every household would die overnight and the angel of death would go through the whole of Egypt and very, very sadly, but there was a way out. There was a way out and God said, if you do a certain thing on that night, you'll make sure your firstborn son won't die. And so the angel of death, and we're going to find out what that was, the angel of death then passed over those doors. That's why it's called Passover. And Jews today still celebrate Passover. It is the most important festival of all of the feasts and festivals in Judaism. Even today, it is the most important for them. Um, because historically, that was their birth of uh, a nation. That was their birth as a nation, as, as Israel. They, they, they were Hebrews. They were an extended family. But now they are known. They have an identity as a nation. Very important. So they also, today, they, they think of Passover is meaning we pass over from slavery to freedom. Not just did the angel of death pass over our houses, but the, that we as a, as a people group passed from, passed over out of slavery into freedom. It's a great, great story, whether you believe it or not, whether you're a Christian or not. I believe it. I believe the Bible is true. Um, but it's a great story. God is uh, a great God. So in Exodus chapter 12, Exodus is um, a book in the Bible which... Um, some of it's quite hard to read, but some of it's very exciting as well. And in Exodus 12, rather than read it all through, because I've got other bits of the Bible I actually want to read, um, I kind of read it through this week and summarised the main bits into seven points of what they had to do. So we're, we're coming to this night now where it's going to be the tenth plague and the angel of death is going to come and very, very sadly bring this last plague and the firstborn son of every household is going to die unless you follow these instructions. And in Exodus 12, Moses communicates this, and, and the last point he says is, you're going to carry this on throughout all of the generations. This is not a one-night-only festival. This is the first of many. So let's read these points through. First of all, you've got to choose a, a, a lamb or a young goat with no defects. 
And secondly, you've got to remove all the yeast from the home. So in the Jewish culture, and even today, yeast is a symbol of evil and a symbol of sin. Weird, might seem odd to you, might seem odd to you and me, but for the Jews in the Hebrew culture, yeast is a symbol of sin and of evil. In fact, even Jesus used that symbol when he said to his disciples, beware the leaven or beware the yeast of Herod and the yeast of the Pharisees. Uh, and they didn't totally get it, but Jesus was using this idea. So the, the concept here is the idea that we're going to remove all the yeast from our home. We're going to get rid of all the bad stuff. It's symbolic of removing the bad stuff. We're going to see that that's important later on. And then the Passover lambs had to be slaughtered. So the lamb that you've selected, this lamb which is perfect and without defect, had to be slaughtered at twilight. And I put the date in, I don't know why. The 14th of Nisan is the name of the Jewish month, but that's not important today. Um, And then the important thing they had to do was smear blood from this lamb on the doorposts, on the top of the door frames and on the sides. uh, And then the angel of death would see that and they would pass he, she, it, the angel would pass over their house. If you didn't have the blood of the lamb on the wood of the door frame, the angel of death would go into that house and your first, the firstborn son would die. Then you had to roast and eat, the, uh, eat this, me- this meal with some bitter herbs and some unleavened bread. That's bread made without yeast because yeast symbolizes sin and evil. But you had to be fully dressed, you had to wear sandals, and you had to have a walking stick ready. You're going to eat with urgency, you are ready to go. And these instructions are a permanent law for all generations. Quite odd, really, isn't it? Quite a strange thing to have to do, but that's what happened. And true to his word, God sent the angel of death and the angel did, and there was a, a terrible outcry throughout of all of Egypt because of this plague of the death of the firstborn son, and anyone who'd followed these instructions, uh, all the children in the household lived. Well, you may have noticed in the previous slide that I'd said that, that sorry, I hadn't said anything, that the title was The First Passover and Christ. The reason this is so important to us is that all of this was a foreshadow of what Christ was going to do. It was all a foreshadow of what we're celebrating this morning on Easter Sunday. See, we were all slaves to sin. We weren't slaves in Egypt, but we were all slaves to the sinful nature. And some of us kind of sometimes feel like we still are. Oh, that thing that I wish I wouldn't do, I keep doing it. And that thing I wish I would do, the good stuff I'm trying to make a habit of doing, I just fail. I make my New Year's resolutions and by the end of January, I've finished. I'm just, no, I can't do this. I am a slave to sin. I am just, I just have this propensity, this, this, magnet, this, this kind of magnetic force towards doing wrong. I'm grumpy when I want to be cheerful. I'm unkind when I want to be kind. I'm just sinful. I'm a slave to sin. We're all slaves to something. We're all slaves to maybe an addiction or slaves to something that, that has us tied up. Some of us can be slaves to fear. We won't get out of the house because of fear sometimes. Some of us are slaves to all sorts of things. We can be slaves to um, a, a relationship where somebody has got a hold on you. And we can all be slaves to something. I don't know what you might feel 
a slave to today. But it plagues us. It leaves us feeling plagued by guilt, by fear. You know, especially when you really want to be a good person. And I look around here and I think, there's probably people who just want to be good. You think of yourself as a good person and when you blow it, you're really annoyed with yourself. And you end up plagued by guilt. You get plagued by fear that you're going to do it again. And unfortunately, it becomes a downward spiral of depression. If we're not careful, it can be. And you can go to self-motivation and you can go to self-help talks and you can do everything that you can. And a lot of it helps just to think positive and speak positive and all that sort of thing. But without God in my life, I keep failing. I can get to a certain level by just geeing myself up and pulling my socks up or bootstraps or whatever, but there is a point at which I need a saviour. And so the blood of Jesus is what we've been celebrating. But not just the blood, because he rose again. But right now, during Passover, while I'm talking about Passover, the blood of the lamb was put on the doorposts to allow the Israelites to have their children saved. And I was just reflecting on what Paul said earlier about his vision of the cross. What an incredible dream. What an incredible vision. What a powerful thing to think about. That Jesus was looking forward as he carried that cross and he was looking beyond where the cross would be and he saw a picture of himself there. And Jesus kept going. For the joy set before him was, was Paul Black, was John Petz, was Pete Windsor, was, was um, Sylv and everybody else. I'm not going to name people that just I start looking at. The joy of God was to see beyond the cross and to see what would happen. So I like to think that as the Israelites were putting blood on their doorposts, there was this foreshadow of Jesus' blood on the, the wood of the cross, which for me is a doorway to hope, a doorway to joy, a doorway to heaven, a doorway to the presence of God, a doorway to to freedom, freedom from this vicious cycle of sinfulness and, and, and this downward spiral of getting it wrong because in Christ there is freedom. So that's really why I feel like every Christian should at least understand what Passover was about and for some reason I kind of felt led to talk about Jewish Passover. We were all slaves, we're plagued by sin The blood of Jesus sets us free and leads us into freedom and new life because he defeated sin, death, hell, and he saves us from all of those things and he saves us from ourselves. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. But you might say, well, you shouldn't really have to celebrate Passover and remember Passover. If, if you have been in church sometime and you do know your New Testament, you'll know that in Hebrews 10 verse 1, it says, the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow. So that's talking about not just the Passover law, but all of the law in the Old Testament. It was just a shadow. It's quite a big thing to write, actually. In a Jewish culture, we've got new Christians. When this was written, you've got new Christians. A lot of them were Jewish. And they were Jewish converts to follow Christ as their Messiah. And to say that everything you've been brought up to believe and all, everything that your ancestors, your Jewish ancestors has followed, it was just a dim reflection of what was to come. It's quite an insult in many ways. Although the law was perfect, 
it wasn't everything that was to come. A dim preview of the good things to come. Not the good things themselves. The law wasn't the good thing in itself. It was a preview. So the Passover is a preview to the cross. The sacrifices under that system, that's what Moses set up because God told him to, were repeated again and repeated again and again, year after year. But they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. So, John, why should I celebrate Passover? What's so good about something that is part of the old system? Well, you'd be right to say that. No obligation at all to follow the Passover. We have once been to a Passover meal that was run by Christians and they've done the whole cedar plate thing and cedar plate, I don't even know how to pronounce it. It's terrible because I used to be an RE teacher as well. What, what do you do? Um, we've done the whole thing and um, modern Jews, probably not that modern, for, for quite a long time now, Jews have, the Jewish community have written into this Passover meal um, a set of questions and answers that I don't think are in the Bible, but the, the, I think it's probably the oldest child asks these questions and then the, the father uh, answers them. And it's, they're set questions like a liturgy around the, around the um, table. And it's like, why is this the most important of all nights? And then the, there's a scripted answer from a parent. And then, why are we dipping bread like this or whatever? Um, and there's a set of questions that are answered. And we've been to a Passover meal run by Christians that, that rewrote all of that and, and said, why are we doing this? Because of Jesus and all that sort of thing. So you can do that, nothing against it, but there's no obligation, no obligation to do that whatsoever. And if you don't do any of that in your whole life, you haven't missed anything spiritual at all if you are already in Christ. But it is good to recognise and have a good understanding of what's going on in the Old Testament so that we can appreciate this amazing God that had the big picture from the beginning. The Bible talks about Jesus as the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. So God knew what he was doing. He knew that we'd mess things up. He knew that we'd sin. And he had a plan already. And he foreshadowed it in Moses and he completed it in Christ. And so when Jesus came to be baptised by John the Baptist in the River Jordan, John looked up and said, look, not here's the saviour of the world, not here's a great man or a good teacher, not uh, here's someone who's just going to wipe out the Jewish teachings and, and bring in this new order and there's no real interest in Judaism at all. He said, look, the Lamb of God. He was referring to Jesus as the perfect Passover lamb once and for all. John recognised it. We need to recognise Passover for what it was and for Jesus for what he is. In 1 Corinthians 5, um, Paul is, the writer Paul is writing to the Corinthian church about some difficult issues and without going into them, have a look at how he refers to some of these things. He, he remembers this, Paul was, was trained in, in Jewish law, he understood all about Jewish uh, teachings and he, he remembers and calls back to memory to his readers this idea of yeast. Remember how I said yeast was like a symbol of evil and of, of sin um, and he's talking about you as the church now and saying let's get some of this yeast out of the church in the same way that the Jewish um, community clean their houses and today they, they make a fun thing out of it. They, they hide yeast around the house and get the kids to sort of in packets, you know, just like you can buy for making bread 
they hide it around the house and get kids to, to go hunting it and find the yeast so they can get rid of all the yeast from the house. They still do that today. But Paul is saying, in our house, the house of God, let's get rid of this yeast. So this Passover imagery is still important to the first Christians. Get rid of the old yeast, then you'll be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. You really are sinless. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So let us celebrate the festival, not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. Once again, uh, the writer saying that Jesus is our Passover lamb. So I would say we're not obliged to follow the Passover, but we're kind of compelled when we start to see what Jesus has done and, and think about what we've been celebrating in the worship this morning. We, we feel compelled to celebrate the fullness of God's glory demonstrated in the communion service that we have fortnightly here, but also this, this Passover principle. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the blood on the cross, meaning that the angel of death can pass over your life and lead you into freedom. God chose Jesus as your ransom long before the world began, but now in these last days he's been revealed for your sake. It's, it's a great thing to live. We live in great times. We live in amazing times where we're able to participate in the fullness of who God is. But then when we come to examining Easter, we think about our Easter expectations. We start thinking, oh, well, we shouldn't celebrate Easter. We certainly shouldn't call it Easter, because what's that got to do with Jesus or Passover? And I have had Christian friends tell me that we shouldn't even really call it Easter here. And I was giving out little Easter eggs with bunnies on at the beginning this morning. Um, and I know that there are some people who'd actually say, that's bad, that's got some pagan heritage well I would just suggest to you that um, God does look at your heart and what it means to you is what it means to you and uh, maybe some people used bunnies and eggs and things to mean something demonic in the past but it didn't mean anything like that to me so enjoy your chocolate <laughs> ever since history has been recorded Mankind, for some reason, has recognised equinoxes. Now, this is not a Bible study now. This is just a bit of research I've done. The equinox is, is where, the, um, where you've got the same amount of daylight as, sun, as, as nighttime. Okay? It happens twice a year, once around the end of March and once towards the end of September. You get an equinox. Um, and yes, sometimes people in the past have used them for pagan worship, but they've always been recognised. Um, and rabbits and eggs have been used to symbolise new life outside of Christianity long before Jesus came. That is true. But here's something. When you do some research on the internet, be careful because not everything has documentary evidence. And when you listen to stuff that's preached that's outside of the Bible, just check, check some facts because I've done a little bit of digging and... Um, what I found out was that Easter, spelled E-O-S-T-R-E, um, comes from the word Easter Monath, which comes from Europe, and um, it means the month of 
opening. Okay? And it's probably also linked to the word east, because the sun rises in the east, the day opens that way. Um, so it's the, it's the season, it's the month of East Monath is the month where everything starts to open because all the buds are opening and, and, and all that. And the, the root word probably means the same root word as east, which is where the sun rises. Nothing, um, nothing demonic about any of that. That's just kind of people celebrating new life. Everybody, religious or not, likes the spring. They like to see new life come out. But what about this goddess Easter or Eoster or however you want to say it, which I was told about by somebody uh, in an RE lesson. Um, And I kind of tried to find out a little bit more about this goddess Easter. Um, The only documentary evidence anywhere historically is from a Northumbrian monk called Bees. And you can call him Saint Bede if you want, as long as you call me Saint John and in St. David, all right? So St. Bede um, wrote about this. He wrote this book about how people over time have documented time and, and the cosmos and stuff. And he, he, he alludes to this goddess Easter, but there's no other evidence, no primary evidence for a goddess called Easter. So whatever she was and however bad she was, you know, like with Woden and Thor, you know, these old gods and stuff, there's, there's carvings, there's paintings, there's uh, written stuff about them from primary evidence, you know, that's from the actual time. There's nothing about this goddess Easter. So if anyone tells you, don't celebrate Easter because it's from this goddess, just say, well, how do you know? Uh, and have an egg. Okay. <laughs> and so when Christians came to this country and, and also to Ireland and all around and, and in, in Europe when Christi- Christianity came to Europe um, they applied biblical truths to non-Christian tradition. Um, how pagan you think that is, I don't know but um, I just thought I'd fill that in because I just think it's interesting to think about the pagan past and rather criticise Easter's pagan past um, yeah, I mean, you can Christianise it. We, Andrea's got this thing where she thinks everybody else in the world does this, um, but, but it's just her, where you roll your Easter eggs down a hill. Has anybody done that as a child? Oh, right, okay. Okay, okay. I'm saying about 5% of the people in the room have rolled Easter eggs down a hill, so it's not just you. And she used to drag us out, whether it was a snowy, snowy Easter or a sunny one, and we'd go to Cockington or somewhere and we'd say it was a wonderful picnic and then we'd roll these and you weren't allowed to eat your Easter egg until you'd rolled it down a hill because it symbolised the stone has been rolled away. Great, wonderful. And when it was really raining, she relented and we rolled them down the stairs. And the dog was at the bottom, ready for them. So you can apply biblical truth. But let's just stick to the Bible when we're thinking about what really matters. And if we're going to criticise anything, rather than its pagan past... Oh, I threw that in just as a little light relief. Um, <laughs> for anyone listening, on, listening online, um, you just had to be here. That's all I'm saying for people to understand why people are laughing. Um, rather than criticise its pagan past... What about thinking about what we really want to criticise or consider is the money-making, the the modern money spinner that it is. Commercialisation during the 19th century saw rabbits become a popular symbol of Easter with the growth of the greeting card industry. And then the first edible Easter bunnies were made from sugared pastry in Germany in the 19th century. 
and then I thought, well, let's find out what Easter is all about. I'll just type, if you want to know what anything's about, you put it into Google. So, I, and, and I clicked images. So assert the first eight images in Google for Easter. And let's have a guess. Will there be anything about the cross or Jesus? What do you think? Who thinks there might be? At least what, out of eight, out of the top eight. Right, they're all eggs and bunnies. That's the top eight. All right, no filters, just top eight. They're all eggs and bunnies. So, um, yes, we know, and Paul said it before, there's, there's more and more people in this country, in this world, that don't know what Easter's about and why it's there. Um, so I think it is good for us to preserve biblical truth, to remember the cross, but also to preserve some of the thinking around Passover as well. And I wanted to talk about Passover today. And if we think of it, and this is my last slide, so you can have your coffee very soon. And um, there's a cake sale as well, so buy lots of cakes. Um, Let's think of it in three terms, in terms of the past, the present, and the future. Let's not forget the benefits that we have as children of God. Thank God for what he's done. We celebrate daily. We think about what he has done. And you know, there used to be a song It was a hymn, Lest I Forget Gethsemane, Lest I Forget Thine Agony, Lest I Forget Your Love For Me, Lead Me To Calvary. And and lest is an old word, isn't it? And do you know what? I just have this one challenge for us as a church, that that when it comes to Remembrance Sunday, and we remember people who died, and and that's the only other time we use the word lest, isn't it? And in fact, it's probably the only time most people, lest we forget and the, the challenge is, do we make more of that as a church community and perhaps as a wider church than this particular group? Do we make more of that lest, lest we forget we will remember them? And it's all right and good that we remember loved ones who've died and, 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 and the people that made sacrifices. But lest I forget his benefits, let's not get caught up so much in other things that we forget we just get our priorities absolutely right that Jesus, the name of Jesus is higher than any other name and what he has done for us is higher than any other sacrifice that could ever have been made. So we remember his benefits, remember that he redeemed our life from the pit, we remember that he crowns us with glory and honour that we don't deserve, we remember his grace and we thank him for it. And so moving from the past to the present we think so daily, we're going to daily prayer, we're going to think, thank you God, we're going to think, I'm going to get up, I'm going to talk to God today, I'm going to be really honest with you this morning, I woke up this morning and I didn't want to. Just anything. I just didn't want to. The alarm clock went off at the time, the latest possible time that I could manage and walk the dog and make sure I'd gone through this talk in my head and, and breakfast and all that. And I, the alarm went off and I didn't go, woohoo, it's Easter Sunday, I'm full of the joys of spring and the Lord. Honestly, I've said this before a few times, just think it's important that I'm authentic with you. I woke up this morning and I didn't want to do anything. I just wanted to stay in bed, even though I was going to see all of you lot. And I love you. I love you all. Sometimes we're like that. We've got to resolve. I got out of bed because I've blessed to have the gift of tongues. I start speaking in tongues quietly. And if you haven't got that gift, you can ask for it. It's for everybody. And that really helps because actually I was actually reflecting that this morning thinking if I didn't have the gift of tongues, I really wouldn't pray. 
Um, at least I don't have to think too much. I'm going to start getting myself moving in the right direction. I'm going to daily, and this is what I'm saying, I'm going to daily celebrate Passover. That's why everyone should celebrate Passover, is it should be part of our everyday um, ritual, if you like, or routine to thank God for what he's done. And then out of that, to be sharing it with others. That's the present. But in the future, just going back to that story of Moses, he set them free, God set them free. Yes, they had 40 years in the desert, but the the future was a promised land. And he has set you free for a promised land. You have a hope which outlasts the sun. You have something ahead for you which you just cannot believe. Uh, Well, you can believe it, but you just... The more I pray and read and think about the God who is in heaven and how unfathomable that is, how hard it is to imagine, the more amazing I come to realise a perfect God is going to make a heaven for us. It's phenomenal. Okay, so um, we've got an incredible future ahead of us. And so I'd like to pray for you if you haven't got that future ahead of you, if you haven't got an assurance of your salvation from the slavery to sin and you haven't got an assurance that Christ has set you free by his blood, that I want to pray for you because the Easter expectations that you might have of going to worship at B&Q or going to do other things, and they're all great things. Uh, it's great to spend time with family, have a meal, eat some chocolate all that, and have some time off work. Fantastic. But if they're your only Easter expectations, I want to pray with you and pray for you that you would adopt some of these, all of these Passover promises that Christ has bought for us by his blood. So let's pray. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit brixham.church.